Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. Here at the Business Creators Radio Show, we take you to those places where you have had some of your profound discoveries and revelations. And where do these take place? They happen at the networking event, the seminar. They happen in coffee shops. They happen in tea houses. They happen in cigar shops. They happen in cafes. They happen at the park. They happen while you're walking. So you may occasionally, depending on where we're coming to you from, we may be coming from our sumptuous balcony in Las Vegas, where our main recording studio is. We may be coming from some sort of public place. We may be coming from anywhere. We have done interviews with folks where they have dialed in from the rainforests of Columbia during a torrential downpour. We also had a guest who spoke with us from an airport hangar in Tel Aviv, and you could hear the IDF jets flying above. So remember that when you have these mastermind conversations, you'll often be in one of these places. And embrace the ambiance and know that this is not your traditional heavy media podcast. We're just going to invite you to vision yourself sitting in on a private mastermind conversation and encourage you to have your padded paper and two pens ready to embrace those aha moments that will naturally arise as we go through. Now, today, we are going to be talking about culture for the left-brained leader. This is a topic that I really want to get into. I'm actually going to have our guest define what this means when we first get started, but let's introduce him. His name is Dr. Andrew Y.J. Kim. So, Dr. Andrew Kim. He is the best-selling author author of a book that is, in fact, called Culture for the Left Brain Leader, and he's the co-founder of Culture and Strategy, which is an advisory firm that helps companies adapt to the modern era and navigate their growth journey. And he brings his extensive experiences in his own businesses and guiding organizations through strategic culture transformations. As an expert in culture strategy, Andrew is a sought-after advisor and speaker at various platforms around the world and has been hired to keynote leadership strategy summits and teach culture in person for leaders at global MNCs and in universities. This book that I mentioned, Culture for the Left Brain Leader, is the ultimate guide for organization and culture transformations and deep dives into the how from a business leader's standpoint. Ooh, I'm getting the tingles already. Andrew, Kim, come on in. The weather's fine. <laughs> Thanks for having me. <clears throat> I think it's a very interesting concept. And I think you're absolutely uh, right that sometimes life-changing moments or conversations or relationships come from very informal setting. I can hear the uh, the background with all that sound and, and absolutely yep. it, it's got that ambiance to it. <laughs> yep. I, I mean, my uh, headset is pretty good at noise cancellation, but you will hear some uh, jocularity in the background as people tell jokes. Everybody's having a good time. And we want you to have a good time. And yeah. you know what? Candidly, I'm a laptop lifestyle guy. I don't want to sit down <laughs> anymore. That's just how it is. Fair now, enough, fair. now, here's the thing. I 
read off your official bio as my job as my host, and I was so impressed by it that I'm not sure I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. <laughs> but that's the official version. That's the press release version of Andrew Kim. But let's hear a little bit about the man. Tell us about a bit about your journey, what's brought you to where you are today, serving from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, the book that I wrote is called Culture for the Left Brain Leader. And as the title might imply, I myself am what you call like a classic left-brainer. And what that means is, is someone who tends to see the world by logic, systems, and processes, even my background, um, my uh, original training is in periodontics and MBA by training. So naturally, I tend to see the world in that manner. And for an individual like that, when they approach business, they look at it and approach it in a certain way. From my experience, uh, I joined the leadership fray by uh, starting a bit, starting businesses. I, I was there owning a rapidly growing business, trying to scale it. And it did really well with that systems and processes approach. Uh, what I did was I tried to look into what the best systems were within my relevant industry. And not only that, I cross-referenced it with other industries as well, too, to sort of create the the best mix, if you will. I would imagine I would try to come up with how I would track things with data and where I can QA things. And it worked really well in the beginning. We we grew very rapidly. But then when it came time to scale, it almost came crashing down on me. Because when you scale, several things happen at once. Your operational expenses increases a lot. There's a lot more moving pieces. So if we're not careful, we can easily lose resonance with our customers and our teams who are delivering the experience to the customers. And when every moving piece doesn't come together, you end up in a situation where you were healthy in the green, but now bleeding. And I was there bleeding tens of thousands of dollars a month after being in a very healthy situation. It, it, it led to a very challenging time. I still remember having to... I discussed and confessed to my wife uh, at that, who was um, pregnant with our boy at that time about our situation. And it was, it was a very, uh, it was a moment where I really had to reassess how I looked at business. And it actually took a culture transformation to flip my situation around, break paths of plateau and thereby restoring the quality of service and bringing the team together again. And it took a it took a series of realizations to do that. I engaged a, a coach slash consultant at the time, and we really approached it from a leadership aspect. The word culture was never even brought up. However, there was a moment where I noticed that I didn't have the same problems that I used to have before. And every and Things were less stressful. Things were doing better. And I wanted to understand what in the world did I just go through? And it was really the word around culture that, that I realized that's what we transformed. And that's what changed everything. But it's a very vague concept. And people say it all the time, like it's some kind of buzzword. But there's very little description on how to do it. And so... Me, my, myself, as a, again, uh, classic left brainer who wants to understand things, 
I, I wanted to reverse engineer what I had gone through with organized approaches. And that's when I consolidated those ideas and learnings in the book. And I wanted to share that story. And from there, that's, that's when I uh, helped others uh, accomplish similar transformations. Wow, that is quite a story. So here's what we need to do first. Uh, some of our listeners get this, but some of them might not. Could you please help us define our terms by explaining this whole left brain, right brain thing so that people know what we mean by a left brain leader? Absolutely. A left brain leader is someone who sees the world by logic, systems and processes to break down. They're probably much more data oriented and operational oriented. Someone who's more right brain tends to be a bit more people focused much more in tune with emotions, much more in tune with uh, human connectivity and approaches business from that manner. I've come to learn from someone who actually naturally approaches things from the left brain side that that alone isn't enough in business. I thought it would be, but it wasn't. You really need a balanced approach. So even for those who are, many people might identify themselves as a right brainer uh, who tends to approach things from a people aspect, I'm sure they can still have a lot to, a lot of insights to gain from these ideas. Right, 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 right. Now, I don't think the two necessarily need to be mutually exclusive because mm -hmm. if you define that extremely narrowly, it makes it seem like the left brain leader is an automaton who looks at spreadsheets. And the right <laughs> brain leader is all about kumbaya and hugs and doesn't give a rat's ass about numbers. And I don't think that's really the case. Now, in addition to my primary work, which is working with entrepreneurs, to help them launch your podcasts. I also have some private clients I work with where I do coaching and consulting on things like virtual team development, organizational structures, uh, some marketing, things along those lines. And I found that myself, I need to, in different situations, be either left-brained or right-brained as I do the part of that role that although supportive is actually a form of leadership. So when my client is feeling really, really expansive, they are thinking 30,000 foot view. They're all about uh, the love and the kumbaya and let's go kick some ass. I have to be the one to sprinkle a little cool water on them so that they don't get too heated over it. And I need to point at data. Now that sometimes makes it feel like I'm a bit of a downer. Now when my client's feeling hesitant, they're looking at their numbers and they're saying things like, well, my average subscriber cost me $328 to acquire. So we can't really be emailing much to promote this event because if I lose even one subscriber, I've lost a small fortune. I just cannot afford people to unsubscribe even though this is part of the natural thing. So I don't want to send emails. I need to be the one that says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm hearing all this concern about not ruffling the feathers of somebody who is just looking for the first reason to leave anyway, because they no longer find the content, or at least at this time, relevant. But where's the love for the people who are quietly hanging on your every word, looking for more, 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 just waiting for you to say that thing that's going to get them to say, all right, I've been paying attention for a while. It's time to jump in. I, I agree with you that that people aren't exclusively left or right brain 
necessarily. I think there's a certain balance that people have. But at the same time, I have seen that people do lean towards one or the other. I think a skilled leader learns how to be adaptable, like you described from part of your experiences. Yeah. Now, from my experience, though, in, in the topic of like business culture, there's so much literature out there that, co- that approaches a topic from the right brain side, though. And that yeah. is actually what motivated me to begin the journey of writing this book, because there was no literature or material. I, well, there was a lack of material out there that represented it on how to approach it from a bit more of a logical side, but at the same time, still approaching the heart of the issue, which is the business culture. Yeah. And what immediately comes to mind, Andrew, is I'm thinking of two stories, one of which is from my book, Groundhog Days, an event, not a business strategy. And another uh, which is about from a book I read maybe 20 years ago, which I cannot remember the name or the title, but I can still remember the story that he told. In my book, I share about my experiences being at a hotel uh, where my client was hosting a seminar and I was helping him manage the logistics of it. And I asked for them to pour me a glass of iced tea at the front desk because I wanted something to wash down my leave because I had a headache. And the book covers in great detail how many hoops I had to jump through and all the people who gave excuses and promises to make phone calls and promises to follow up and then going into how this could have led to an organizational culture where somebody might have been afraid to say no to me because actually they did not have iced tea to offer me so they were actually that afraid to say no because of what they had been told but at the same time they had also been told that if anybody went above and beyond for me that would be a violation of their roles and no good deed goes unpunished. Now, I, I mean, now, and all I wanted was a glass of iced tea. If they had told me we don't have iced tea, but there's a convenience store down the, down the street, I'd have been walking within 10 seconds or if they had a vending machine or what have you. That's fine. But I felt like I was jerked around because I was told they'd bring me iced tea and then it turned out they didn't even have any to offer me. But I had to go through six people to get to that. Now, I remember this story from this book where a gentleman, he was, a, he was a, a national public speaker and he traveled a lot. So he got to a hotel late and he had a speech the next morning and he was wondering at midnight, he was asking at midnight if there was some place he could go to get his shoes shined. Now, there are very few places at midnight that you can get your shoes shined, which is why you should really carry your own polish and rag with you when you travel. And he was wondering why the person at the front desk didn't offer to take his shoes home with them, polish them at home, and then come back in on their own time at six o'clock in the morning and give it to them. He felt that because they didn't do that, they really didn't offer much customer service. And he was wondering, why did they say, oh, well, there's no place to get your shoes shined at midnight. So somewhere in the middle there, I think, and I'm not sure why this is coming up, but again, we're masterminding here. And I'm wondering where left brain, right brain, brain plays into this whole thing because i'm seeing uh a com- some various combinations of data-driven decisions organizational driven decisions and emotional ones well i think this is an op- a good opportunity to actually pivot the conversation more towards a business culture from this aspect because business culture empowers two different characteristics i've seen um, very very well which is one is innovation and the other one is customer service 
you brought up the concept of customer service. So we can talk a little bit around that one for a second. That'd be great. Yes. Like for instance, um, now we historically business businesses have approached customer service with a mentality of the customer is always right. Yeah. Right. We heard that so many times. Everyone has heard that before. And that was because a long time ago, even before that became common, customer service or sales representatives didn't argued a lot with customers. So that the customer is always right mentality became prevalent in business businesses for decades. However, now we're in a very different point in business history. It's not just that the customer is always right. Now we actually have to caretake the team because if we caretake the team, they will do what is right for the customer. And sometimes that's standing your ground or sometimes that is going the extra mile. You see, the thing is, every situation is very different. And it does need to be evaluated on a case-by-case situation. It's hard to develop steadfast rules, procedures in scenario one, two, and three. You got to do A, B, and C for every single situation. And in today's environment, that degree of adaptability in customer service is almost required in order to thrive nowadays. However, if if we approach our business culture with an extremely rigid, scripted approach, now I do believe in having those as guidance, maybe for training material uh, or or to teach what types of scenarios there are. But if we overkill it and make it regimented and, and then tell everybody the customer is always right, then it can lead to a very disheartening situation because there are times where customers will abuse the customer service rep. Or sometimes you will actually have the customer service rep not taking care of the uh, customer. Now, because of the, 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 the fact that the business environment is a little bit different, now the better approach is to caretake the team because if you caretake the team, then they're going to take good care of your customers, make good situational decisions and empower them in order to do so. Now, one example is, I like to bring up the example of Southwest. Of course, everyone knows Southwest as the airline and they take that approach as well too. If you if you take good care of your team, they will take good care of your customers. And because of that, even, even as commoditized as an industry, as an airline industry, they have done um, they have done better than many other airlines. Yeah. And I think there's something to that. Now, I'm also thinking the example being uh, here in Las Vegas, one of our pride and joys is Zappos. Now, I first heard of Zappos almost 20 years ago. And it's kind of a funny story. I uh, had a woman who was, uh, you know, somebody I was interested in. And she had this the the shoes she was wearing I thought were really interesting and I wanted to show off my brilliance when it came to this. So I was trying to figure out like what style they were and what they were called. I did some quick internet research back before binging the Yahoo all the Googles was really a thing because I think we were still on um, Alta Vista at that time or something like that. I can't remember. <laughs> but yeah. 
But anyway, I found out there was this company called Zappos that uh, had a little bit of a wacky approach to their customer service. So I called them and I, I told my situation and they said, yeah, uh, here's my email address. Could you email me a picture of them right now? And I'll tell you what they are. And I did. And then they, um, and then they told me, and that was really cool. Now I got a little bit more curious about Zappos. So a few days later I did some further research on them and I heard that story about how, if you could, how about if you called Zappos and orders a order the pizza, they would send it to you. So I tried it. And lo and behold, they sent me a pizza. <laughs> now, they weren't making any money off the pizza. What they were doing was setting up a scenario where 20 years later, me and tens of thousands of other people would be saying, wow, Zappos is so cool. Even though they sell shoes, if you call them to order a pizza, they will send you a pizza. So if I need to order shoes, who do you think I'm going to call? Who do you think I'm going to tell people if they say, hey, I'd like to buy some shoes? You know, Zappos is another great example of a company that has really, really thrived based upon creating the right organizational culture. Now, interestingly, even a lot of like tech founders and, and startups, you, you see quite often that they try to grow very rapidly, but didn't really didn't focus on the business culture and grow to a point where it got toxic. And yeah. it's not atypical for them to say, you know what, this isn't what I wanted wanted to grow into but it's so difficult to move the needle on after it's gotten to that point that's why it's recommended to begin working on it earlier rather than later that yes. they end up exiting it and starting all over because they'd rather do that than than have something that they weren't uh, really happy to be a part of all the time so zappos was one company that really focused on business culture and they did they did it intentionally they so you brought up some interesting examples, but here's a question. How did they achieve that? Did they simply just say, hey, let's just do whatever our customer wants? No, there are so many more moving pieces to it. And there's a lot of practices that they actually employed in order to accomplish that. Like, for instance, one of them is basically they, they have a state-of-the-art training and training program, onboarding program. And even within the onboarding program, they, uh, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but then what they did was they offered them money if they voluntarily left, meaning that they had to commit that, you know what, I want to be a part of Zappo so much that even with this, even if uh, I'll decline money to be a part of, of the Zappos culture, that way they got the people who were committed to it. You see what I mean? It wasn't just uh, um, if someone was simply looking for a quick win, then they could do that. But it was it was it was people who believed in what Zappos had to offer and wanted to be a part of it that stuck behind. So their onboarding and training was top notch, and at the end of it, they would offer such a thing. Beyond that, they really did emphasize the fact that we're trying they're trying to empower their employees okay and so it's also their management culture that they uh try to try to create and even that there's a lot of various practices that can be um, put into i just want to throw out that it's not it's not just hey let's let's uh do everything for everybody because 
we're all pragmatic people, right? You know, that's going to end up being a disaster if we don't have some organization, some approach to it. But I just want to bring up one example of, it's a well-known and cited, cited approach that they use in, or, in order to help build into that. Oh, right. Absolutely. Now, here's one other thing, and I, I read this about them, is, and it has to do with how they organize how people are positioned within their office. They have it set up so that the people who write the copy for the ads for the stuff that they sell on their website sit next to the people who take the orders or who, who, who do the purchasing. The reason being is the people who do the purchasing and the people who write the ad copy should be working together anyway, so they should be phys physically proximate to each other. Now, how many companies do you see out there who expect departments to work together, but then put them in, on different floors or different areas, or sometimes even different buildings, but then expect them to have perfect synergy? Uh -huh, you're bringing up the office layout, and which yes. does play an important role. Tell uh, us. Yes. It's more of an open concept, an open door uh, approach so that cross interactions can be done. And it's actually uh, quite common to see such type of layout designs for um, like tech companies. It's actually almost have become the norm, actually. And sometimes I even have little recreations um, areas on the side, whereas more traditional companies, it tends to be much more... Um, Isolated, segmented uh, rooms and and uh, rooms, doors, and that kind of stuff. So now, if we want to enable the, a much more, um, I, I, I suppose, a, a strong business culture, then we may want to become open to such a layout. However, I have seen the other side go extreme as well too, where they think that the layout and recreation or side uh, like buffet tables, ping pong tables or slides, that alone will create the business culture. No, um, it does help, but it's not the only, only thing. And now I, I want to use this as an opportunity to kind of talk about some of the other practices that help build into that. Definitely do. an open layout is, uh, fant is fantastic. In fact, it, it tears down barriers. It's so easy for people to uh, have cross co cross collaborative um, cross functional collaboration because that's actually one of the things where rigid um, more traditional companies actually struggle in where where from department to department or function to function um, there's a lot more layers in between but let, let's take a sidestep and talk talk about some of the other things now we won't be able to talk about every single uh, element that makes a culture that 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 would require um, a much longer and in-depth conversation, but why don't we just touch up on a few? Like for instance, the one thing that I like to um, evaluate when I uh, begin talking with a company is to look at their existing alignment rhythms. You know, the types of meetings um, and the, the frequency and why and that kind of stuff. And off, quite oftentimes it's almost all tactical or um, project-related, meaning that it's all task-related. I found that many companies, they do that part. They, they have a lot of uh, alignment rhythms for that. 
So they have less on the people side of things. And one example that I like to bring up a lot is one-on-ones. Do we have one-on-ones with our team members from manager to team members? That's a very critical one, simply because it's an opportunity and also a reminder for a manager to just catch up with their team members. And I recommend not only make not making it about the tasks per se when possible. And to focus on other topics. The first one I like to recommend is just what's going on in life. You know, we can get so bogged down in in the business and you know the projects that we need to complete or the tasks that we need to complete. Now, sometimes we forget about connecting with um, the people um, individually. I mean, it's not a great situation if you have one of your team members and they just had a baby and you have no idea about it. That's not the most ideal situation. So it's good to just have a touch point to just see what's going on in life and to connect with them as a human. The second one is, are they doing a good job or a bad job? And how do they know? You see, a lot of managers, they have an assumption that they that people know whether they're doing a good job or not. But I've come to realize that quite often, one of the confu- more confusing parts of someone's role is oftentimes they're not being told whether they're doing a good job or not. And how would they know? So having a transparent conversation about that is nice. The third one is what tools are available to them? A lot of organizations have a plethora of tools, whether it's training or access to resources or uh, all sorts of elements, but team members don't know about it. They don't know what types of uh, conversations are possible. They don't know that they can make a proposal for an idea. They don't know that uh, a particular training thing is available. They don't know that there's a budget for development or for other uh, for implementation of other ideas they don't know that they can do a business case study presentation yada 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 so it's good to have that conversation because quite often people don't know what what they what they're um what they can do and what they have access to the fourth one is a conversation about strengths and weaknesses. And I'm not just saying strengths and weaknesses as and they're doing a good job or a bad job on something, but to really connect with them as a person, to really identify what they're just really innately good at. They're really good in this one thing that others find difficult. And to actually have a conversation about that, to really bring that out even more within their job role. And also a heart-to-heart conversation about maybe some of the other things that they're struggling in. Again, not to bog them down, but to really develop them and coach them on how to how to pretty much cover up those weaknesses so that it doesn't really affect their job role as much. Because what that does is it creates more of a coaching relationship between the manager and the team member, rather than necessarily it being just... Um, someone who's doing a job and someone who reports to. So it becomes a different relationship dynamic. The fifth one I'd like to recommend touching on is what are their their aspirations? It's good to know what their aspirations are, to to know what they're trying to head for, uh, whether you can support them. Sometimes expectations need to be grounded in reality, but oftentimes, oftentimes there are 
some aspirations and with um, the right right guidance or training might help them get there as well too. So these are these are the types of conversations that's good to have um, as to as a manager and team member. And I recommend putting it in the books, scheduling it because again, when we're so busy with work, we can forget to do these. And even if we have the right heart in place, we can forget. So that's what I recommend um, considering if we're not doing that that already. And and some of the recommended um, topics to talk about. Yeah, I think all this is very important. Now, what do you think are going to be the impacts on some of this stuff now that we've seen more remote work become a permanent part of how we do things, particularly when it comes to things that we consider to be office type roles. We believe that after the pandemic began to trans transition into an endemic or begin to go away or what have you, that everybody would just go back to their offices and everything would be normal. But what we discovered is that folks who now had the opportunity to work from home uh, began to recognize that not only is it better for their lifestyle, in some ways it actually makes them more productive and more willing to contribute to the corporate culture and more linked to their work because now other areas on the lower end of their hierarchy of needs were being better suited. And when companies said, okay, well, the bug is over. It's time to come back to work. They said, oh no, I think I'm going to continue working from home. And uh, by the way, uh, your competitor just made me an offer that allows me to keep working at home. So what's it going to be? And then you have the great resignation, everything else. So everything you just described, Andrew, sounds great. And oh, mm -hmm. what I'm seeing here is that that just may not, to the same degree, be the reality going forward, at least for the foreseeable future. And when you have people you don't see every day, it can sometimes be a little more difficult to be left-brained about them because now you have to do right-brained things to keep them more emotionally engaged and you don't see what's going on. Because uh, I can tell you right now, those employers that had this idea that people were going to be mandated to keep their webcams on and, and have to respond to messages on Slack within three seconds or get written up or what have you, those are the companies that are getting the short end of the great resignation. So what do we do? Well, we brought up multiple things from those comments. First one, you brought up the work from home. You brought up uh, the great resignation. Well, first of all, it's imperative that we need to uh, prioritize the business culture if we want to thrive in that. In the earlier parts of the pandemic, uh, earlier parts of COVID, that's when remote work became quite common. And the companies that, there were companies that were already used to it to a certain degree, but a lot of companies had to pivot in order to adapt to that. Now, interestingly, there were companies that thrived in it and others who really struggled in it. And they quickly realized that it's not just a technology that made it work. The reason why is because there's a lot of intangible elements that directly relate to the culture. And what it is, is the fact that you can't directly supervise or monitor what everyone is doing in a remote work environment. So there's a trust element that needs to be there. And again, we need to invest in the organizational culture if we want to develop that culture, that trust. 
and and again, I t- talked about one-on-ones earlier. There's a lot more other things that I recommend, but that such practices build trust because if we just treat it as a completion of tasks, it can be quickly disengaging. But if we approach it as people connecting, then something else can be born. And and then you talked about the aspect of the aspect of the great resignation. Same situation. It's because people are looking for something more than a a, a job, a salary. Now they're, they're wanting to be treated with dignity and respect. They're wanting to be a part of something bigger than them, a purpose as well too. Now, when we focus on the organizational culture, those are the things that we can deliver to them. And not only that, you also mentioned the continuous park. I I treat it like, I like to describe it as a park. When a company can offer um, work from home, not all jobs is that's possible, but uh, but certain ones uh, are. It, it's a type of perk, um, especially in um, like administrative or like technology uh, heavy roles. And it's a lot easier to continuously offer that when the organizational culture is up because people take ownership. Do you? If we have the if we have the business culture where people try to lay low, try to get away with doing things, then the trust isn't going to be there both ways, and also the managers will be more inclined to uh, play a little bit more of a big brother role. However, when we work on it, the culture from both sides, from team members showing engagement, ownership, and maybe even creating their own schedule on how how they complete tasks. And it's done in a quality manner. In fact, some companies, their productivity increased from from that. Besides that, uh, it becomes more possible when we really invest in the business culture. It becomes a scary topic when we don't. And that's why you can see companies saying, no, we're going to go back to the office immediately. And others are saying, you know what, we're going to give this a try. Of course, time will tell, see how everything equalizes. But uh, that's why you see um, two polar different approaches to this situation. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. Um, You know, I have seen studies, and these have been around for a few years. What they deal with is the percentage of an eight-hour workday that is actually productive and valuable for the company in terms of how the people spend their time. They've conducted research. They've conducted productivity studies. They've done surveys of employees who work in office environments. And the number that gets thrown around a lot is two hours and 53 minutes. That's right. You have your eight-hour day, including your half hour for lunch and two 15-minute breaks. And other than that, uh, they have this vision that everybody's going to be sitting at their desk or their cubicle, upright, answering all emails within 15 minutes and answering every phone call in the third ring or returning voicemails within every five minutes and uh, cubicle drop-bys and everything else. But the fact is, the average amount of time that's actually valuable for the company and returns on the investment that employee is two hours and 54 minutes. What is the rest of that time spent on? Water cooler conversation, extra breaks, meetings, uh, people doing personal stuff on the internet. 
taking personal calls from home, uh, making the time pass by because they really don't have anything urgent to do nor the mindset to do it. Now, take away the stress of the morning commute, having to wake up at an extremely unnatural hour, deal with rush hour traffic on a highway that was designed for one-tenth of the amount of vehicles that it's supposed to handle, and know that even if they leave three and a half hours early to take a 45-minute trip, and they walk in one minute late, 20 minutes of those 20 minutes are then going to be spent explaining why they were one minute late. Take all that away. Take away the expense of gas. Take away the expense of stopping for a cup of coffee on the way in. Take away the need for wardrobe. And you will increase the per hour value of their salary by approximately $2. And now translate that to the energy they have to put into work. Now, I just said two hours and 54 minutes are actually productive. And you're putting people into this nine to five box because it's a vestige of the industrial revolution. They may not need to be at work for eight hours. They may simply need to be available for eight hours. So let's say that I can get all my work done in three hours. And then after that, I can take uh, I can take my cat for a walk to the park. I can go to the tea house. I can go to the cigar shop. As long as if my phone rings or I get an email or if I'm responsible for monitoring live chat, I get a, a ting that says that I've got a new live chat to deal with. I respond promptly. Knowing that I can manage my life better, does that possibly make me more invested in the company's success because they're investing a little something in me? Well, this is a multifaceted uh, topic uh, simply because of the fact that I know companies that where the culture has been so hierarchical and traditional for such a long time that if they went directly into work from home, it would implode. I, yeah. I, I know that as a fact. The scenario that you described told me that it there that is already a traditional hierarchical culture, meaning that if they want to enable such perks, and I do believe on a long term that they should aspire to, they first have to target the bus, um, a bus, a co- business culture transformation first to establish that trust to establish the trust between the management and the individual contributors and leadership and the various department heads. Because when that trust is there, the barriers and the gu- everyone's guard starts dropping and we can actually reach for greater heights with more collaborative synergy. And during such moments, even when we don't see what everyone is doing um, directly, you can trust that they have the right mind in place in doing what's right for the company, doing what's right for for yourself as an individual to find that good balance. Because I'll be honest with you, in, in, there are people who will take advantage of the situation. Yeah, you're always going to get a few. I mean, yeah, you get you yeah. get people who take advantage in their cubicle. I remember, uh, and this is going back 20 years, so I'm going to date myself a little bit here. I had to sit next to somebody who's in the cubicle next to me who probably spent five of her hours every day arguing with her idiot asshole of a boyfriend. And then other highlights were that she would, uh, and this is back in the days before we had memes on the internet, and we used to like forward jokes through email. Remember those days? Yeah. Okay. Her idea of contributing to the company is she would use her company email to forward a joke to 20 of her friends, and then she would call each one of them to discuss the joke. 
So yeah, people take advantage wherever they are. So here's the thing about business culture. Some people think that it's on the leaders. And sometimes the leaders think, oh, it's on it's on everybody else. But yeah, the, the truth and reality is we all play a role in it. Okay. Like for instance, if there's someone who would tend to abuse such situations, they honestly don't belong in a strong business culture company. And, right. and that's the truth and reality of it. There's almost like this like unspoken agreement. You're going to show engagement. You're going to show um, ownership and deliver and collaborate, um, flex based upon your communication styles with each other when there's differences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. If we don't do that, then they actually don't belong in that type of company. Whereas at right. the same time, a manager or a leader, um, they should also approach things more from a coaching mentality and also um you know, look to empowerment, of course, provide the strategic direction and um, the various uh, moving pieces strategically and tactically as well, too. But they have a responsibility to set the tone for the organization as well. So one thing I've seen is, you know, the companies that oftentimes um, focus on like company culture, they can oftentimes offer these certain perks that you talked about, right? So everyone wants them, right? But one thing I have seen is sometimes... Um, Every, everyone wants it, but sometimes some people wouldn't even belong there because they might even abuse the situation. So I understand the caution on both ends regarding this topic. So the first thing that would need to happen for such an organization is to um, approach the uh, culture transformation first, establish the trust, and then uh, reassess um, such parts where there is feasible and possible. Because we don't want to put the... Um, possibility of uh, implosion of a company <laughs> we don't want to do something like that then everyone's out of a job <laughs> so um it's a multifaceted uh topic um there's multiple angles regarding that and uh it, it's something that's good to aspire to but at the same time got to be cognizant of the various risks and moving pieces in order to accomplish such uh such aspirations So to the point of, can we trust people? That goes a lot back to culture when you think about Absolutely. it. Now, Absolutely. If you have, now, if you have somebody who's having loud arguments with people in their personal life five hours a day and spending two of the hour, other three hours a day um, forwarding jokes and having phone conversations about the jokes, and you never actually see them working, they probably should be coached that they have a job to do is first. And second, <laughs> and second... Let's and there's three things. So I'm thinking of a specific person here. God love her. I think I thought she was a wonderful person, <laughs> but uh, she didn't belong there. Okay, because she was always real nice to me, so I didn't have any personal problems with her. It's just annoying. Um, first of all, uh, I don't think anybody ever pulled her aside and uh, explained to her that she had a job to do. There you go. And I'll get to it. I'll get to the reason why for that in a second. Mm -hmm. The second is she was probably not given much work to do nor was she really held accountable for much of anything at all. So she may have never been given the chance to show that she could be productive or that her presence there could be valuable because she was not given a lot of work to do. She was not given feedback on that work and she wasn't given a chance to develop. And hey, once you're in that situation for long enough, you can get to the point, even if you are an ethical person of saying, hey, you know what? They don't really care about me. I'm going to forward jokes and post memes for the rest of the day while I look for another job. 
<laughs> I mean, well, that, that's just where it gets sometimes. Now, the third yeah. issue is she had her job due to nepotism. The CEO had hired this um, executive assistant who then proceeded to install all of her various relatives and their friends in various jobs around the organization. And this woman I'm referring to was an example of one of those. I believe it was her niece or something like that. And I remember after that executive assistant finally left the company that all these various folks, and it seemed they just felt like dominant was within two weeks because they'd all been engaged in these behaviors. Um, they were all let go. And in, in several of the cases, because I can think of several of them, and again, I got along with all these people. They were very nice, but they didn't, but um, for whatever reason, they weren't fitting in there. I saw the same trend over and over again, where they were being essentially allowed to get away with it because they were so-and-so's relative. Well, I can if you speak have that to your organization, the, you got a problem. Well, I can speak to the, the couple of things, the earlier things that you mentioned. The nepotism one, um, that, that, that one's a tough one to uh, deal yeah. with, perhaps um, a, a suboptimal situation to begin with. But let's talk about um, how, what do we do to really um, align with this organization? And that's why one-on-ones is a great opportunity for to develop that coaching relationship. Uh, beyond that, it's also how we approach those everyday moments. Like for instance, it's something, one thing that I came to realize is that I had to approach the various situations that came to me differently. For example, oftentimes we're in management and leadership situations because, you know, we're good at what we do. We know what we need, what needs to be done. If an issue comes up, we need, we know uh, how to fix it. However, I've come to realize that whenever anything came my way and I gave, gave an answer, I wasn't really helping the situation. I was in a short term, but however, what I did was I created a perpetual dependence on for people on me. And at the same time, I never really developed other people. I came to realize that when I actually use those moments as opportunities to coach and problem solve with them, it did a lot better in the long term, especially if I can get uh, good ideas out of them. I've noticed that as long as their ideas are going the right general direction, it tends to outperform my ideas in the long term. Even if my idea was more intricate, their idea would still win out in the long term. As long as, again, as long as as it's going the right general direction. And sometimes you have to provide some guidance for that. And the reason why is because they know their idea inside and out. And if curveballs will get thrown at them throughout the course of their work, and if it's their ideas, they know how to pivot and adapt to it. Whereas if they did everything that I said, the moment a curveball gets thrown at them, they freeze. They don't know what to do. And and that's why in the short term, it'll win. But in the long term, my idea wouldn't win out in the long term. Besides that, it's an opportunity to develop uh, a coaching relationship. And with, with them. And what that does is it deepens a relationship with the individual and builds camaraderie, loyalty, which helps with the retention. There's a lot of other benefits that, that help with that. It improves morale, engagement. So you can see it's, it's a lot of these other elements that really creates that environment. And so our managers and leaders approaching are the team members and various situations this way? Are they 
Are they setting the tone in that manner? Are they receiving training to be able to approach things in that manner? Is this is this the norm in the organization? I've seen organizations where this is the this is the norm. This is how you would do it, and if you don't, then um, it's a little odd. Whereas other organizations, if they if you try to have these one on ones or these um, approach approaching these situational moments in this manner, they feel weird. They start thinking, isn't it? Boss, isn't it your job to tell me what to do? Again, you see, there's these polar opposite approaches of doing business. And when certain things become a norm, that's when you start getting a business culture in place. And so imagine that we had approached that employee that you're thinking about in that manner, those one-on-ones, those everyday situations, those coaching, perhaps, and of course, not everyone will work out. But perhaps we would have a higher possibility that this person may be more engaged rather than two hours and 50 minutes worth of work, but more. And they're happy to do so rather than sending memes and jokes. It's actually uh, productive things and in a very positive and empowering manner. If we have such an environment and that trust is there, would it not be possible to have our guard down a bit more? when we're talking about um, other elements as well too within our job and talk, and you mentioned certain other perks like you know, work from home or yada, yada, yada. Wouldn't it be more possible if that was the case? So yeah, I think there's a multi, multiple uh, aspects to <laughs> what we just talked about. Yeah, and, and some of, and what you described is, uh, now maybe we call it a mixed message or maybe we find several messages being delivered simultaneously to leave the people, whether it's the employee or the manager, or whether it's the client and the contractor, a little bit confused as to who has the responsibility and what have you. You made me think of General George S. Patton Jr. Now, this is another example of a little bit of paradox in leadership. He was known for the strictness of his, of his command. For example, he would find uni- soldiers for uniform infractions and he would discipline their commanders if they allowed the uniform infractions to happen because he felt that if soldiers can't wear the proper uniform, there's no way they'd be commanded to move forward into, va- into battle. But at the same time, he's also famous for two other quotes, one of which is, is every, if everyone is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. And never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. So there's a balancing act here. On the one hand, you're looking for people to conform with a standard. But then on the other hand, you're looking to inspire and innovate them. Now, in Patton's case, there was some practicality involved because he couldn't be everywhere at once. And he had uh, he was in charge of often seven, several battles or actions at the same time. He needed his field commanders to be able to act independently to win the battles when he couldn't be there to tell them what to do. And... He also needed to have the perspective of the people who were actually on the ground in all these different places to give him a picture so that he could make the best decisions that he could. So how is this really different from somebody who's in a leadership position who is required to make sure their employees conform with certain roles and regulations outlined in the employee handbook and at the same time need those employees to be able to produce at least two hours and 54 minutes a day worth of value without having to be micromanaged because that gets tiring. And then if you have 20 direct reports, then look out and be comfortable 
giving their upline a candid assessment of the situation with their recommendations on how to handle things based on their experience being hands-on. Well, it's a balancing act, like you said. You know, if you're responsible for a team or multiple teams even, obviously you can't be everywhere at once. You have to caretake the goals of the, of the team or the organization. But at the same time, you have to caretake the people as well too. You can't do just one or the other. If you only focus on the goals, then what can happen is that you, you, you can end up with um, a micromanaging situation, extremely hierarchical um, environment where everyone keep, keeps their heads down. They're not looking around the. They're not looking around for um, opportunities for improvement or ideas. Whereas if we only just caretake the people, what can happen is we can miss our goals, and now it's an unsustainable situation. Yeah. So it's a balancing act. It really is. Uh, there are some things that we need to conform to, perhaps not making it too rigid. Now, one of the things I uh, recommend is reevaluation of the various um, processes that within the organization. Rather than complete, strict, rigid rules, more like guidelines, except for the things that need to absolutely be done for safety or legal or whatever reasons, um, but there are a lot, a lot of other things. We talked about customer service earlier in this conversation where um, I recommend having a lot of guidance uh, in scenarios rather than if scenario A hits, this is what you say and just stick to the script. So having a more guidance approach in, uh, in a way where it resonates. Like for instance, a lot of the material that we have um, in order to orient someone to a role Oftentimes, it's too long. It's inundated with um, like 10, 20, 30 pages. It needs to be a more simplified version of everything. Like, for instance, I like to bring up the example of an iPod. Now, an iPod was, the ingenuity was how, how user-friendly it was. It wasn't the first MP3 out there. But it was so much more user-friendly along many other things. It had an ecosystem user, but it was so user-friendly that people could people could easily pick, pick it up. It was so clean and beautiful to use that it really kicked off. And we have to approach our processes in that manner as well, too. And beyond that, of course, striking the balance between goals and people. How do we strike that balance? Well, that's part of the experience uh, and journey of learning to manage and lead. And again, who is it on? Well, I, I do believe the leader and manager sets the tone, but at the same time, one thing that I have seen is that sometimes um, individual team members learn to uh, take advantage of the situation. So I like to give a gentle reminder that everyone plays a role in it, including the ind individual team members, that, uh, that all this is predicated on also people showing engagement, um, ownership, bringing up uh, solutions to problems that they see, but at the same time, adapting their communicational style with each other because everyone's a little bit different. It, it's, it's a whole ecosystem that you're trying to create. And um, we, we talked about some moving pieces. Again, it's not all, but um, we, we did talk about several moving pieces. Absolutely. So I think the bottom line is uh, we need uh, a hybrid here. And the and the left brain thinking is fantastic, and it does create a great foundation. And to me, 
what I'm seeing here right now as we wrap up and just tell me your thoughts on this analogy. It's like the cake and the icing. The left-brained approach is the cake. It's the it's the solid part. It's the foundation. It's the one that contains most of the ingredients. It provides the basis of what we do. The right-brained approach and the right side management and leadership is the icing that adds flavor to it and makes it more delicious. You know, I never saw it by that analogy before, but I do believe that it would work. <laughs> yeah. Great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I wish I could speak with you for three more hours, but unfortunately we are at the top of our time here. And what I do want to you know, let people know is uh, please pick up Andrew Kim's book. It's called Culture for the Left Brain Leader. I'm going to put it in my Amazon Kindle library, and I encourage everybody to do it themselves. It's going to be on my list of things that I'm going to be reading when I have my fun afternoons on my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony with a fine cigar <laughs> and enriching myself. And just remember to take steps forward to get everyone on the same page from the C-suite to the frontline worker to achieve the vision that is meant to happen. I encourage everybody to visit Andrew's website, which is at cultureandstrategy.com. And that's an N, cultureandstrategy.com. And then there's also a website for the book, which is culture leftbrainleader.com. That's cultureleftbrainleader.com. So Andrew, final question for you real quick. Sure. After people stream this episode, aside from visiting those websites, aside from picking up a copy of the book, if there's one thing they can do right now to take their business one inch forward, what would that be? It would be to become open to this concept before it's too late. And, and what I mean by too late is the, this doesn't happen. This type of trans, transformation doesn't happen overnight. So my yeah. recommendation is become open to it because I became open to it when, you know, when I hit that brick wall. And it, it's a lot easier to approach it when things are good and it takes time for it to materialize. So that would be my recommendation. So that you don't have multiple stresses going on at the same time, and yet it can be a very empowering journey. Exactly. So, Andrew Kim, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor, believe me, in education. <laughs> Thanks for having me. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.